This morning, I want us to spend a little time talking about prayer. Now, I understand that some of you may say, I already pray too much. Uh, I've kind of mastered prayer, and, and so I've got that. So I'll understand uh, if you're on your phone the rest of the, the service because you've, you've just mastered prayer, and, and you just know, if anything, in my life, I spend too much time uh, praying. But this kind of message is going to be uh, for the rest of us that, that maybe just kind of when we think about prayer, like, man, I, I know I know that I quite haven't arrived when it comes uh, to prayer. Before we do that, I want us to kind of reset the situation uh, for a moment here in John's gospel. We are using this gospel to help us tell the whole story from Christmas to Easter. And so what we've looked at in this gospel is that the first 18 verses of the gospel give us a picture of eternity, how Jesus existed before the beginning of time. When time started, he was there to see it happen, and that Jesus is the eternal figure. And so those first 18 verses tell us about Jesus inside of eternity. The next 11 chapters basically cover the three years of Jesus's ministry. The remaining 10 chapters cover a little bit more than one week. And out of those 10 chapters, five of those chapters concentrate on one single conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. In fact, that's where we are right now. We're in this middle of this single conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And at this point, as we take a look at the passage this morning, we are going to see the shift where Jesus stops talking to his disciples and begins to pray for his disciples. Now, this shouldn't really be a surprise to us because Jesus is a person of prayer. Now, there's a little bit of discussion because sometimes Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of tell the story of Jesus from one point of view, and they kind of emphasize things in one way, and John kind of tells the story from a different point of view. And sometimes when we look at this prayer that we're about to see here in John chapter 17, there are some folks that think, well, maybe this is the prayer that Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe John is just kind of giving us the details about that prayer because this is a really important prayer. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us about this really important prayer that happens in the garden. So maybe this is the same prayer, but, but clearly this is a different prayer. Uh, this is a prayer in which Jesus is praying for his disciples. In the garden, Jesus is praying for himself. But in this passage of scripture, it is Jesus praying for his disciples. So what you have here, it is a matter of hours. Scripture is telling us of two really significant times of prayer that Jesus has. Now again, this shouldn't really surprise us because Jesus, his whole life has been demonstrated to be a life of prayer. In fact, the disciples have been intrigued by his prayer life since the very first time is that they, they meet him and they, they come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. And so what we see is that there is a routine that Jesus regularly prayed. But we also see that when Jesus' life experiences and the situations that he's around get more intense and there seems to be more distraction, at those moments when the crowds get bigger, Jesus has a tendency to slip away to spend time in prayer. In fact, again, the disciples are kind of confused by that because the disciples are like, well, Jesus, this is a great moment. The crowd's here. Don't you want to be here in front of the crowd? And I think what Jesus' response is, as good as it is to be in front of the crowd, it's better to be before the Father. And so when Jesus walks into these moments, 
that this intensity, this weight, this duress, this stress that's about to come upon him and upon the disciples. It is no surprise that in this moment, Jesus would be praying. Again, the disciples envied this prayer life of Jesus. They envied it because Jesus prayed differently than anyone that they had ever seen pray before. It wasn't memorized scripts. It wasn't this forms that he was following. But there was aliveness to his heart, speaking to an aliveness of a person who was hearing. When he prayed, he was refreshed by his praying. It seemed to be the most important thing that he did. It was something that he got to do, not something that he had to do. And there was an intimacy in his prayers. In fact, one of the things that marked Jesus' prayer is that when he talked and he prayed to the Father, he prayed Abba. Now when he prayed Abba, what that was is that it was this incredibly intimate household word. Sometimes we, we try to translate that word into to daddy and not great father, but, but daddy. And sometimes we, we try to figure out what that looks like inside of our own prayer life, and we struggle to find the right words. But, but I would tell you, it's not as important that you find the right word in your prayer, but that you have the right relationship in your prayer. Whether you pray Father, whatever you pray, whatever language that is that you use, if you pray Daddy, whatever it is that you pray, what you need to know is that you have the same intimacy become before the throne of God. And that household imagery of a father who loves his child and puts his child on his lap, that's the relationship that we have in prayer. That's the relationship that Jesus modeled for his disciples when he prayed. In fact, in the passage that we're going to read in just a moment, he uses the word Abba six different times in this passage. It's not so much to get the word right, but it's to know that that's the relationship that we have. I think this intimacy that, that Jesus had in prayer that the disciples watched in this prayer is really, really important because sometimes we can have a tendency to, to think of God in, in two different ways. One, of God as being great, grander, spectacular, awesome, powerful, huge, and distant. A God that big is way off, way out there, so far away, unapproachable. And then sometimes the option that we have is that sometimes we, we think of God as so small and intimate, and he fits in your pocket. And then it's kind of a, a cute God that you can kind of carry around with you all of the time. But it's close. When we hear Jesus pray, well, we discover it is not a choice between a great big God who's distant and far or a small God who's small and convenient and close. But what we have and what's revealed in Jesus' prayer is that we have a great, awesome God who is also close. And we don't have to make a choice between big and distant and small and close, but our God is boundless and close, and that's the Abba Father that Jesus prays to. So this morning, we have the opportunity 
to listen to Jesus' longest recorded prayer. And as we do that this morning, when we listen, we will get to hear the voice of Jesus. And that's pretty good. We will also learn a little bit about prayer when we listen to Jesus pray. And then what I love this morning is that you're going to have the opportunity to know what Jesus desires for you. I've been telling you for several weeks that when Jesus talks and when Jesus prays, he is not just talking to those disciples, but he is also talking to us in this room. And this is the passage in which he prays for us. So let's take a look at it together. John chapter 17. We're going to read one verse before John 17, and then we're going to read John 17. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Man, what a great verse. When Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested or demonstrated your name to the people that you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and come to know in truth that I have come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, that they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves, and I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask this for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
And the glory that you have given me is given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen? Amen. That's Jesus praying for you this morning. That's Jesus praying for you this morning. I want to take just a few moments and think about what it is that we see and how Jesus prays for us this morning. I want you to see this morning that Jesus prays to express love. Jesus prays to express love. I want you to see this as we take a look at this passage of scripture. He says, I am praying for the people that you gave me. They are in me and I am in them. He says, I am praying for them. He says, they are mine. I have kept them. I have guarded them. Later on, Jesus will pray for himself, but in this moment, he is praying for these disciples. When we talked a few weeks ago about his love and affection for Mary and for Martha and for Lazarus, people that he would come by and that he would see as he was going in and out of Jerusalem. But now he is praying for those disciples that are in that room with him. He is praying for all of those who will become disciples after those disciples. He is praying for us. He is praying for these folks that are going to have to deal with the opposition of the world and have to face tribulation. And his heart is filled with love and compassion. And so one of the reasons why Jesus prays is there is a difference between Jesus as teacher who is imparting to us the knowledge that we need. But don't miss the fact that now Jesus prays and he prays for these in this room and he prays for those in this room and all of the rooms in between. And he does it because he loves them. He loves them. That is the motivation. That is the stirring that, that happens inside of his heart and his prayer and his, his life. So I guess this morning the question that I want you to think about is do you love somebody? Is there a person or two or seven or 23 that, 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 that you love? Well, are you regularly praying for that person? 
Is it part of your routine? Is it part of your practice? Is it part of your expression? Because I love you, I want to spend time with you. Because I love you, I like to do nice things for you. Because I love you, I want to share gifts with you. Because I love you, I want to text with you. Because I love you, I, 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 I want to share life. I want to have a meal with you. I, I want to go on a trip. All the things that you do with people that you love. Do not miss that one of the most important things that we do with the people that we love is that we pray for them. Jesus prays for his disciples. Jesus prays for us because he loves us. We pray for special needs that occur inside of their life. Moments where they have tests, whether they be a classroom test or whether it be the classroom of life. We, we, we pray for moments where they are dealing with duress, where they're dealing with hardship, and we know those things. And we go to war for them in prayer. And we, we also pray for them just in the routine, not because they're in the middle of a crisis, but because we love them that we pray for them. In fact, we even learn how to be better listeners inside of a relationship so that we can learn how to pray for them. What is it that is the, the desires of their heart? What is the places where they're struggling? Where, they, where do they need to be encouraged? What would be a breakthrough in their life that God could provide for them? So you listen well so that you can pray for them. Prayer is an expression of love. And we pray for those that we love just like Jesus prayed for us. And I'd also tell you, though, that Jesus prays to change what is happening. Jesus prays to change what is happening. Now, this is really kind of the heart of the passage. and There's a whole list of things that he talks about in this passage. But here are some of the things that Jesus prays for. He prays that his joy would be fulfilled in his disciples. Now, that's kind of a big deal. And that, that's an incredibly gracious, wonderful prayer to pray. In fact, if you were to take a look at that room right now, as he has just washed their feet and he's been talking to them about how the fact that they're going to have to wash each other's feet, the fact that he is leaving, the fact that Peter is going to, uh, going to disappoint them and that Peter is not going to fulfill his promises, all of these things, the pressure that they're feeling from the outside. And Jesus says, what I want to pray is that I want to pray that they would be filled with joy and not just any joy, but my joy. I think if you were to take just an emotional temperature scan of that room, the, the one thing that wouldn't have shown up in that place was joy. But Jesus says, even while they are anxious, even while they are, they are locked up by the unknown, I pray that they would experience joy. I pray that my joy would be fulfilled inside of them. Jesus is praying that what is happening right now changes to a completely different story because of what he prays for. He prays in this passage of scripture for them. He says, I don't, he says, I'm leaving and they're not. And they're going to be here in the world. And what Jesus says, I don't pray that you will take them out of the world but I pray that you will protect them from the evil one. 
that they are vulnerable in this world. There are dangers that they are going to face. Some of them are real, live, physical dangers that are going to unfold for them in the next hours. Some of them are going to be temptations to fall away. Some of them are just going to be hardship that's coming. Some of them are going to be spiritual attacks upon their soul. And Jesus said, I'm not asking that you move them out, but I'm asking that you will put a wall of protection around these that I love. And then maybe the greatest theme of what Jesus prays for in this passage is he prays for the unity of his disciples. And again, this gospel doesn't emphasize it as much, but the other gospels let us know that behind the scenes, they yapped. These disciples had rivalries. These disciples wanted to move to the front of the line. These disciples sometimes didn't trust each other. These disciples wanted prominence. These disciples would look at other followers or people who wanted to follow Jesus and look at them and say, they're not good enough. Jesus, oh man, the world is going to be against you because you follow me. There is no room for my followers to have division inside of themselves. And so when Jesus prays for that room and for this room and for every room in between is that there would be unity, that they would be one. Now what does that look like? Jesus says, I pray that they would be one just like the Father and I are one. Okay. The Father and the Son have what we call in the business perfect unity. <laughs> they are one. They, they, they cannot possibly be more united and as one. And Jesus says, it is my prayer that my followers will be so committed to me and to the will of the Father that they will have the same kind of unity that the Father and the Son have together. Man, that, that, that's large. I, I will tell you that I think sometimes we don't pray big enough. I think sometimes we don't pray specific enough. We don't pray bold enough. Hey, in fact, if we were to inventory the things that we've prayed for in the last 30 days, would we notice which one of those prayers got answered and which ones didn't? Had we really pushed things Hard enough, clear enough, specific enough, bold enough that we could look back and say, yes, that prayer was answered. I saw it happen right there. Or, or do we pray so vaguely? God bless all the children of the world. Well, how? Which children? Which, which part? What, what, what specific thing are you praying for? What would that blessing look like? Jesus prays that they would have joy. Jesus prays that they would be protected. Jesus prays that they would have unity. It's bold. It's life-changing. It's world-changing. It's specific. You can tell whether that prayer has been answered or not. Now, maybe you're like, what if I pray for the wrong thing? I, I don't want to put God on the spot. That's okay. He'll fix it. 
Here's the thing. That's kind of the whole point behind prayer is if I take to him something and it's not right, I'm also handing him the keys that says, listen, this is what's on my heart. This is what I want to see. This is based on all of my wisdom and all of my experience and all of my heart. This, this is what I want to see happen here, God. Would you, would you bless this? Would you do this? Would you transform this? Would you make this happen? Here are the keys to this part of my life. And when we do that, we hand him the keys so that we are no longer working off of my wisdom, my best insight, my perspective. But we are now working off of his insight, his wisdom, his perspective, and his heart. And so it's okay. Pray about any specific thing that you want. Pray with boldness. Pray with specific requests. Pray for things to be completely different than they are today. Now, he may have a different plan, and he may override some of those things. But if he does it, he'll do it because he knows more, he loves more, and he can do more. That's the reason he'll override. So don't ever be embarrassed, like, well, well maybe this isn't something I'm supposed to do. Pray for it. Pray for it. And it may be that there's some shifts that happen inside of your life as you begin to say, I don't know if this is really what I'm supposed to pray for anymore. I'm supposed to see this differently than how I used to see it. But when Jesus prays, he prays to change what is happening, and it is clear whether that prayer has been answered or not. And it's not vague generalities of just churchy speak. But he prays for things that they would have joy, they would be protected from the evil one, that they would be one as the Father and the Son are one. Jesus prays to change what is happening. I would also tell you that Jesus prays to build his kingdom. Jesus prays to build his kingdom. That this may be the, the place that this may be the place that we struggle the most and we fall short the most. You see, what I want you to see is that really from the beginning of this prayer to the end of this prayer, the things that Jesus wanted to see accomplished the most is for the kingdom to grow. For darkness to be overpowered by light. For people to move from unbelief to belief. For the work of God to be completed in people's lives. In fact, that's what we see here in this passage of Scripture. It tells us that in verses 2 and 3, he says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all that you have given him. And in case you're wondering what eternal life is, he says, And this is eternal life that they know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's what Jesus prays for, is the building up of the kingdom. He says in verse 17, he says, sanctify them. He says in verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He says, sanctify them. Now, sanctify is, is one of those Bible words. But what it does is it says to make holy. You see, remember, when we were saved... We, there, there was no good in us. And then the Spirit of God comes in 
and overwhelms and forgives us. And from that point on, we, we have this battle that goes on as to whether we're going to live in our past or whether we're going to live in our future, whether we're going to live in darkness or whether we're going to live in light, whether we're going to live in the flesh or whether we're going to live by the Spirit. And the process of sanctification is the process that my life becomes more consumed day by day by light than it does darkness. And that I pursue the things of the Spirit more than I pursue the things of the flesh. And until my dying day, it is the work of God that I will be more spirit-driven than I am flesh-driven. And sanctifying is that we look incrementally, piece by piece, day by day, hour by hour, more like Jesus every day. And what Jesus wants to see happen in your life is that he wants to see you sanctified while you are in this world. His desire is for there to be less of this world with his fingerprints on your life each and every day. It is a progressive prayer that he wants for your life. He, he, wants, he, he wants people to know salvation. He wants them to grow inside of that salvation. And then in verse 21, he wants the entire world to believe. He wants the entire world to believe. He says that they all may be one just as you, the Father, and I are one, and I in you, that they may also believe in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, which is the definition of salvation, of eternal life, just earlier in this prayer. One of the things that we need to do better is that we need to pray for spiritual things, for kingdom things, for things that last for all of eternity. And so when we model our prayer time in our worship services where we pray for one thing from the headlines, when we pray for one thing for the community, we pray for one thing for our church, really all three of those should say, Take this thing that's happening in the world. Take this thing that's happening in our community. Take this thing that's happening in our community and may the movement of God, just as Marla prayed today, we don't just pray for people's safety, we pray for their salvation. We, we, we don't just pray for them to graduate well, but we pray that they would learn how to pursue the will of God inside of their lives. We don't just pray for a high attendance on Easter Sunday, but we pray that people will move from darkness into light and that this church will be the church that helps to build them up so that we have strong believers and families that are transformed by that. We pray for spiritually large things so that the kingdom may grow. I think sometimes we pray for so many things that just kind of function as a satellite, as an orbits around us. When we need to be spending time praying for the things that revolve around Jesus. So this morning, uh, I guess the questions that I want to ask, questions that I want to ask is, who do you need to love this week? And how do you pray for them? Who is a person that either you love so much that you need to start praying for them, or who is it that you need to start praying for so that you can love them? But, but, but who is that person? 
Secondly, what needs to change? Well, what, what specific circumstance, situation exists in, in your peripheral vision that needs to change? And don't pray vaguely about it, but pray specifically about it. Hand him the keys to that part of life and say, as far as I can tell, this is what needs to happen. But, but if you know more, then I trust you. But specifically, I pray for this to happen. How do we need to pray for the kingdom? What spiritual, light, darkness, spirit, flesh kind of prayer request do we need to have? There's two things I want us to do this morning. I want you to make a note on your phone, I want you to make a note in your bulletin or make a note where you are so that you can do that in the week that comes. Who do I need to love through prayer? Well, what needs to change? And what spiritual thing needs to happen? And that's what I want you to do in the week to come.